If I lean in close with my plaguing fears, will you back away or stop to hear? If I speak the truth, others see as lies. Will you listen still? can just record like half an hour of talking. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Make Language Great Again. It is my joy today to talk to Anais Takirian. Is it the correct way? Yes, of course. Okay, so I'll do it again. Hello and welcome to Make Language Great Again. Today it is my great joy and pleasure to talk to Anais Takirian, who is an amazingly talented musician and a beautiful human being. Welcome, Anais. Thank you. So, uh, do you want to talk about yourself a little bit in your own words? I am a musician and also a writer. And I am a mother, uh, which has always been a huge part of my identity and feels like it's taken on even more importance if that were possible in this year. Well, you are part of an extremely beautiful Armenian trio. Thank you, yes, I'm part of Zulal a cappella trio, and we've been performing all over the world and uh, New York um, since 2004. No, 2002? I don't know, a long time. <laughs> so, uh, this whole past year has been really weird for most of us. What was your experience? I mean, what, what is your story? What is your journey through last year? Well, um, I guess, like everyone, when news of this virus first hit us, we were all, I was taken aback and didn't know what to do. Um, so we went along with the, you know, the whole idea of the shutdown and so forth. So May, uh, March 13th, I guess, the schools closed. So all of a sudden my girls were at home and we all thought it was going to be temporary. So we were going to be fine. We're just going to lock down for two, three weeks and, and we'd go back to normal. And obviously that didn't happen. And it's so funny because this, I think this year for everyone has felt completely endless. Um, it has for me anyway. And so much has happened and yet so little as well. Um, but when I was looking through my journal, which I started keeping more assiduously this year, I realized that very early on, I started having some doubts about what the main narrative was. And, and part of that just comes from being someone who has never been able to completely accept just whatever the mainstream dictates. But also some, some good friends were, were speaking up and, and, uh, and saying this doesn't make sense. So. Um, so I was actually surprised to reread my journals and realize that I was starting to question things rather early. Uh, but for me, the most difficult part of, of this whole year um, has been <laughs> what I've experienced as a mother. 
as an artist, obviously, it's been very hard because as a performing artist, nothing right. has happened. I'm very lucky that my trio has started working together again, recording, and I've been recording my own original material also and working on that. So that has sustained me. Um, but of course, emotionally, the idea of not knowing if and when you will perform again, uh, it, it takes a toll. But for me, the hardest part was seeing the effects of the lockdowns on my daughters and and other children. I feel very lucky that I have been able to be present for them. Um, so I, I continued my, I, I teach piano and I continued that remote, half remote, half live once people start um, feeling comfortable enough to come to me again. Um, so that was continual, but um, otherwise, you know, my own artistic uh, activities were just fit in around what their needs were because all of a sudden I had two girls who were home all the time. And, uh, and it's the isolation until they found people with whom they could meet in person again, um, the isolation they both experienced was was really hard. And so all of a sudden my main task was to keep them emotionally fit. <laughs> and um, and we managed, but uh, but it's very it's it's been hard and and thinking about other children who've been more isolated out of fear or because they don't have parents who can you know, who are lucky enough financially to be as present as I was able to be for my daughters. Um, that is something that that hurts. So you 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 are fairly outspoken about what you're going through as a mother in regards to this whole situation. And I have to say I admire you because I think a lot of people feel this way, but it is considered a scary thing to do because it seems like over the past year the degree of pushing and bullying and propaganda around it is unprecedented for the Western world, at least of the past few decades. And when I saw you speaking up, and I know that it comes from the heart, I know that you are doing it because you, you can't help it. And I know the feeling, I feel the same yeah. way. Your, your kids are so lucky that they have you. And you. when you talk about how they even, even when they go back to school, how bizarre it is, like, it, it is stunning to me that more people are not just out in the streets protesting it because we're talking children. And so do you want to speak to that? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, I've always come across as a, I think, I think as a rather gentle person, but um, I'm a definite lioness when it comes to my children, so don't, don't threaten my children. Um, and this whole situation has felt like a threat to them. So um, my little one who's only eight has been, um, I I've seen the emotional effects on her, but it's been a little bit more even keel. Um, the older one as a teenager, you know, I saw the depression and um, the thing about my daughters and the way I've raised them is that, um, as I said, I've never really, um, been completely on board with the name mainstream narrative so early on i made the choice to um, raise them without screens for example um, which i had friends telling me oh good luck with that and it's 
worked. Um, they have gotten, I don't know, at this point, 10,000 more times, uh, more time, uh, more screen time um, through school than they've ever gotten at home. And because they, you know, I didn't raise them, you know, with video games and television and so forth, they're both <laughs> voracious readers. And that is something that has saved both of them. So really my older daughter, when she went through that really hard time in the, the most isolated part of the pandemic, um, she escaped into books. And, uh, and now the little one is doing the same. And, um, and also my older one, you know, she's at the age when she has a phone um, and she uses it for texting and FaceTime, but she's chosen not to be on social media. And that's her choice because at this point, you know, I'm fine if she wants to, but she doesn't want to. Um, because she's seen the effects of it on her friends and she feels that she's doing just fine without. Um, but, uh, so then, so okay, the isolation was one thing. And then the my older one just, you know, they just opened the high schools barely a month ago. Um, but my younger one went back to school, that hybrid, you know, half, half-assed kind of school starting in, I think, October. And at first she was elated to be able to be in the school setting and to be with a teacher because this kid is, both of my girls have you know, enjoyed school, but the little one especially, the idea of not going to school was the biggest punishment. So whenever, whenever she had to stay home with a fever, um, the world was ending. But then, and, and so what I found very, very concerning is that the children started going to school and there was a new normal that was defined and children are so susceptible that they will accept as normal whatever you tell them is normal so then you know if if all of a sudden the new normal the new school normal is that they have to be six feet apart um, they all have to wear masks for five hours a day except for a short mask break and when they eat um, the new normal is that during lunchtime, in order for them not to speak and spew germs, uh, they are given a video to watch in silence while they eat. Um, the new normal in my little one's school happened to be that a lot of the instruction was done through video and the teacher and the assistant were there to facilitate. Um, this was all what she accepted and it was because it was only slowly and because I, I was quizzing her on what her days were like that I started understanding what exactly was was happening at school um, you know in order to take a drink of water they have to go into the corner and surreptitiously drink quickly and then come back you know because they're walking biohazards and so this all became very disturbing to me and I was surprised that um, when I alerted other parents in our class chat that they didn't actually know a lot of what the school day was like so um, so we organized and uh, and got together a document to which many of the parents contributed with certain requests to the the principal about how to change things for the better um, that didn't bring about much change, but a little bit, a little bit more communication. Um, 
But the thing that, that just really, really concerns me is that our children are being told that this is what must happen and they must accept it. And my daughters have a mother who is telling them the opposite and saying, you know, if you want to go to school and not be at home all the time, um, unfortunately, these are the rules, but uh, know that they are completely unfair and they don't make sense. And in other countries, children are not made to be muzzled <laughs> for five hours a day, which I find hugely problematic on a, um, a health level and an emotional level, because um, especially, especially young kids, four and five, not to be able to see each other's expressions um, is, is so emotionally damaging. And I was talking to a mother whom I hadn't spoken to in a long, long time in the park yesterday, and her her little one's teacher was trying to say that he had social problems because he wasn't interacting properly with other kids in the class. And she said, well, he hasn't properly seen any other kids in his class because they've all been masked this whole time. And, uh, and so he, he interacts more with the, the teachers because uh, he knows that the teacher is supposed to be a, a trusted adult. But, um, but the children are literally not given the the ability to interact in a healthy, normal way with their peers, which for my daughter has meant this school has become suffering and she really doesn't like it. And um, every morning she gets to decide whether she's going or not. And uh, we'll see how long she continues because I feel guilty about her going at all and being made to put through all these protocols that I know, unfortunately, from all my research, don't make sense. And um, and so we we talk about it at home. I have to censor myself a bit and, and make sure I'm not talking about things too much because it's hard for them. And my daughters have always known that we've made certain choices that other people haven't. and. And they've been okay with it. And there've been times, you know, for my older one where it's been harder than other times. And then, but overall, she's also seen that, you know, in spite of this horrible year, she has a sense of, of groundedness. And so she's, she's fared well, um, because I guess we're not doing the most terrible job. <laughs> Um, oh, let me give you a hug. I, mean, <laughs> I just can't help, like a dry interview. This is so fucked up. <laughs> it is. What are they saying at the school? Are they saying that it's forever? Are they saying they don't know? They are very uh, carefully saying nothing. <laughs> I've addressed it. I, I was in a, in a, a conference mm -hmm. with... Um, the district superintendent for one of my girls' schools. And I asked if the same protocols of, of masks and social distancing and so forth would be in effect in the fall. And, mm -hmm. um, and when they went through the questions, the superintendent answered all the other questions and just remained silent for that question. Oh, because I had, um, I also asked, so I asked if the protocols of masks, um, social distancing and random testing, PCR testing, which, and I put in parentheses, which 
is only mandated in New York State. It's not mandated in uh, in other states like Massachusetts, for example. And uh, so I asked when we could know whether this would be what we confronted in the fall as well. And and yes, she she very pointedly ignored the question. Oh boy. Oh. And another thing that I know you did was also related to the PCR testing of kids. And from what I understand, they told you that you're not allowed to be present when they PCR test your kids? Yes. So in order for my girls to have the privilege of going to school in person, which um, my understanding is that as residents of this city, they have a right to public education. Um, and in my view, remote education is not education. I have huge issues with, first of all, as I said, like we're not a family that wants to, our children to be on screens all the time. And also um, there are huge privacy issues. Um, a friend of mine who's also very, very concerned, who's a, a fellow parent, um, is the one who actually made me start thinking even more about it, that all of a sudden, you know, all of our children's little writings are now on Google Classroom and so are in, in some way accessible to, you know, to whoever in big tech is, is running this software and so forth. And that's disturbing because my children have no presence on social media and all of a sudden their their work and, and if they're assigned to do a video of themselves, that's, that's there. Um, and that's problematic. But so um, I don't agree with random PCR testing. I have, I've done an incredible amount of research on the whole idea of the PCR test. And I know that it's a highly inaccurate way to test for an infection. The creator of it specifically said it was not meant to diagnose an infection. So I brought up with the superintendent my questions around PCR testing, and I wanted to know the number of cycles that they were using, um, because I know that above a certain number of cycles, there's a huge number of false positives. I wanted to know, I wanted assurance that um, because the DOE is outsourcing the testing to private companies, I wanted uh, very specific assurance that my children's samples would be kept private. Um, and I also said, in, also uh, in the wake of receiving um, news from the Académie de Médecine de France, um, the French Academy of Medicine, that nasopharyngeal swabs actually carry a risk of meningitis, um, I said it's unconscionable that we would subject children to this test um, as a prerequisite for attendance in school. And so I said, if I have to sign consent for my children to be tested, um, at the very least, I need to be allowed to be present for that testing because any sort of medical intervention um, with my children, I need to be present for. I'm their guardian. They are both below 18. Um, I have an absolute right to be present. So I, I framed, I didn't frame my whole objection around the idea that we shouldn't test, which I think we shouldn't. And as I said, in Massachusetts, for example, it's uh, you, you give your consent for it. And if you don't want your child to be tested, they won't be tested. Um, but I said, at least I should be present for the testing. And um, 
I only got, so I sent out a letter to the superintendent because I, I went through discussion with the principal and then it got forwarded to the um, superintendent and I heard nothing for a week and a half and actually just got a call from someone who works in her office a couple of days ago. And she was very sweet, um, very, very nice. And we talked about um, the issue and she said it's DOE policy that parents cannot be present for the child's testing. And I said, well, I have huge ethical concerns around it, which I stated in my letter. So um, you need to send my letter up the chain. And she said, we will do that. But what will you do if, if they say no? I said, well, I'm not, I don't want to answer that now. Um, I want to hear from a higher up who can actually give me an answer. And she said something that just to me, um, well, you know, some colleges are mandating that kids have the, the vaccine to be able to attend. So, you know, you, you just need to go along, at least with this you know, testing. I said, yes, and that is incredibly unethical. And that's I think I, I think I said that's horrendous and unethical and against the Nuremberg Code. And, you know, I I oh, she said, um, you know, you might have to just go remote. I said, no, that's not an option. My children have a right to an education. You're going to pass my letter on up the chain. Um, and and she said, well, what, what will you do if if your child come up, comes up for testing and they won't, uh, you know, give her a pass on it? I said, at this point, I have to depend on the goodness of people, of the principal and of other people around us um, because I have no other recourse. Um, yes, I, I, I just have to depend on, on your goodness and, and the principal's goodness. And so we, we ended the conversation nicely, but I'll, I'll find out what happens. So what what are your options? Just home homeschooling? Can you can you sue the school if if they forbid you from going without testing? So um, I don't know <laughs> what my options are. I suppose mm -hmm. you know eventually homeschooling. And as I said, for now I am going to trust the universe and trust the goodness that is still in people <laughs> um, that they will respect my code of ethics. Um, but I do know that in November, um, some lawyers and teachers sued the DOE um, over this issue, and they won. New York State declared, yes, it is illegal for, for random PCR testing to be mandated. Um, and so as soon as I got news of that, I sent an email to the principal saying, so, you know, you can't touch my, I rescind, I rescind my consent, no one can touch my daughters. Um, and then the very next day, I don't know how it happened, but somehow the DOE's authority supersedes the, the New York State uh, dictate. So the DOE, again, has the right to randomly test children. Um, it's it's craziness, and and for me, <laughs> there's so much injustice in the world, and there's so much that we've had to be 
fighting for many years. I mean, there's so many issues that have been so concerning to me forever, environmental, you know, regarding refugees, regarding, regarding poverty in this country. There's so much that's been of such concern to me. And then this year, I find myself scrabbling and fighting for my children's basic rights of sovereignty over their own body, let alone, you know, trying to fight poverty in this in this city and, and so forth and, and environmental destruction. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me that I'm in this situation all of a sudden that I have to be fighting for such basic things when there's so much else that I'm supposed to be fighting for. It's, it's horrifying. I don't know what to say because I, I hear you and I have to pinch myself every day thinking that Oh, is this really my life? I mean, <laughs> luckily, you know, like life is good because like my grandparents have been through a war and mm. there's no comparison. And yet still, the way it is going, it is very bizarre and it's not possible to even expect if, if we no longer have basic rights, then what? And if you think about the older people who were locked in nursing homes and like, what kind of craziness is that? And I've been talking for years about the fact that American society does not respect the elders. That yeah. essentially what happens, even before any COVID, people would, you know, work in their prime time, be good consumers, be good producers of goods and services, and, you know, do their thing for the machine. And then, and they would be subjected to environmental abuses, health abuses, all sorts of things that are hidden that are masked as something glamorous. And then when they're old and suddenly sick and they don't have the power and they're not producing money for the machine, then they become useless eaters and then they become hidden from us. Then they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. They're shipped off to the nursing homes if, you know, if children do that. Or they're, they're, in, they're, they're hidden from us. We don't hear from them. Old people are not cool. Their opinions are lame and the life's lesson that they've learned that the machine is actually not caring about them at all mm -hmm. and it tosses them away that's the time when they learn it and that's the time when their opinion doesn't matter anymore and this to me was already bad prior to covid and now this year when you think about it you, you worked all your life you were you know doing something you you, you, I don't know, you had relationships, you dated, you worked, you did all the things that all people do, right? And all of a sudden you're locked down like a prisoner without doing anything wrong and they tell you, no, you can't go out. No, you have to do this, you have to do that. And what kind of indignity is that? What kind of inhumane, fucked up mess is that? And how does any of us even accept it, even to a tiny degree, without screaming and saying, this is wrong, this is not a level wrong? That I don't get. That I don't get. And also another thing that is reminiscent of, well, early Nazi Germany, the whole thing with DNA orders on, do not resuscitate orders on people with cognitive disabilities, which, which they did in the UK and in, the, in New York, they did it across the board. I mean, what the fuck? I, like, pardon my language, but what the fuck? So, it is outrageous and the cognitive dissonance that exists in my head about it is that on the one hand everything is you know fine right now restaurants are full of people new york is kind of coming back and you see people kissing in the street and it's wonderful 
all the masking aside that is alongside the people in restaurants who are eating and because the virus is obviously so intelligent that it doesn't touch people who are eating but it only touches people who are walking by but anyway that aside <laughs> so but the degree of indignity that we accept with health passports with all the tracking with with being told what to do where to go what to wear on our face we're accepting all this abuse and we are we're told that it's that normal that's a good citizen thing to do the insanity of it is mind-boggling and every day I'm like, is this really happening? Like, is this, is this really, really happening? And it is. And we just go, the days are going by and we're just getting by and we're just taking along this whole dystopian trajectory, like we're on the Titanic and we're dancing and dancing and dancing. And it's uncool to say anything. And if you say something, then people, you know, some people actually, a lot less, a lot fewer people now than before. But then you're like this crazy person who's stirring the waters, right? You are, don't stir the waters. And I have an analogy for that. I'm thinking about it. If you're, in a, at, if you're at a fancy dinner party and it's, it's beautiful and it's glamorous and it's wonderful, all the dishes are wonderful, but you know that underneath this whole thing, there's a sewage pipe or some kind of like horrible thing that is about to explode. And you, because you know that it, it's there. And you try to tell people, like, wait a second, like, it's, it's all lovely, but there's this thing and we might actually have some problems at some point, maybe soon, but it's so unpleasant and it is there's such a contrast with the dinner party that it seems so far remote and you're almost like a nuisance, like, you know, don't talk about this unpleasant thing with us, we're having so much fun. Well, not that anybody's having much fun right now, <laughs> except for Jeff Bezos and like the crew, but but then, but it's there. If you don't talk about it, it's still there. And at some point it's going to go up and whatever, shit in flames. But talking about it is uncomfortable because it disturbs the status quo. And people usually don't like the status quo dis disturbed because they're attached to it. And, but the fact that, I don't know, I think it's so important to deal with reality. It could be pleasant or it could be unpleasant and you can decide what you do, but at the very least you have to have context. You have to have an understanding of what's actually happening. And if things don't make sense, if things look like you are subjected to massive abuse, maybe you are. So... <sighs> I, I... Something I've been really struggling with, and again I'm going to bring it back to, I guess, the idea of motherhood, mm -hmm. because I'm a bit redundant. For me, so much comes back to motherhood. It also stems from the, stems from the fact that I, I lost my mother very early and I was extremely close to her. She was an incredible mother and um, I lost her right before I became a mother. So, so much of my art actually does revolve around the idea of motherhood. But one thing to speak to the whole idea of, you know, if wrong is being, if you feel like wrong is being done to you, most likely it is. Um, people have an off switch right now that they're that they're shutting off so easily, um, an off switch to their sense of what's rational, and even more concerning to me is um, the the empathy off switch. So, um, for example, you know, I had lunch with a very very dear friend. Um, and because she's very afraid of COVID, we ate outside. It was freezing that day. We all like, were on the verge of hypothermia by the end of the meal. Um, 
but for me, she was using the the a little bit of the rationality off switch because she was eating food that I had prepared, and my my arms are not six feet long, so I breathed on that food, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, you buy a hazard, you. I, I wasn't wearing a mask in my own house when I was. In, <laughs> she didn't ask me to do that. So, um, and then you know, we were, I, I put a, a, a bag of crackers for the cheese, and we were all reaching into the same bag of crackers and putting the crackers in our mouth. So, obviously, there's an exchange of germs, you know. But we're outside in I think it was 45 degrees, oh, you know, freezing, and it just it, it just doesn't make sense, you know. Um, but as I said, even more concerning to me is I know a couple of instances of people who've had a child contract COVID and be sick with it, um, and the parents isolated the child for 10 days for the length of the COVID, bringing the child meals with a mask and gloves. Um, I heard about this with um, an adolescent, and then my friend told me about um, a friend or an acquaintance of hers who was talking about how her three-month-old had had COVID, and then the seven-year-old came down with it, so they isolated the seven-year-old. Oh, so <laughs> for ten days. I don't know. I, I didn't get the details on that one because my friend had such a look of horror on her face <laughs> that the woman couldn't continue telling the story. She, she stopped when she saw my friend's shock. Um, but I mean, that's an instance of lack of, of reason and lack of empathy, because if you've already, I mean, obviously they didn't, they didn't isolate the three-month-old because that's not possible and the three-month-old was still alive. So if the three-month-old already went through it, it means that you've been exposed to the virus, so you're fine. So, so it, it's not reasonable to isolate another member of the family, but then I mean, how can you do that to your child? That is, it's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling. So yeah, that that is the part of what's been happening that that just I I have a hard time with it. Like I I I cry over it. <laughs> like I I can't. I, I can't. Well, it means you still have a heart. Well, most people do, but they I don't understand how they can allow fear to do that to them. And I know the effects of fear. It so happens that in my family, even though we lost someone very, very dear to us to COVID, and I know around 40 people who've had it, two people who had it long-term, um, and who were finally fully recovered after five months. But, um, in spite of knowing so many people who've gone through it and having lost someone very dear, um, for some reason called research, um, we've not, in my family, we've not been terrified of the virus because we know that we're doing everything in our capabilities to be healthy, to have a, a healthy vessel. vessel. And um, I mean, there's so many other reasons why I'm not actually afraid of this virus, thanks to my research and thanks to my whole philosophy around health and Western medicine. Um, but I know what fear is because I have immense fear for my daughters and their generation's well-being, both regarding the environment and regarding 
their civil liberties and regarding the biofascism that's threatening them right now, that's where my fear is. And I have to work on myself to try to not fret and, um, and, and let as much go as I can. Therefore, my children are in school um, and I've stopped telling them every day, don't let them come near you, <laughs> you know, scream. I've stopped telling them that. At this point, it's, you know, it's in their hands and I, I have to trust the universe, as you said, and trust that goodness will prevail as much as possible. They're doing such horrible things. I mean, yeah. You know, something that we talked about, and I think every day that, well, the generational trauma that the generations before me, my grandparents and my parents went through, and that they were trying and still trying to give to me, like, that came from the state abuse, and it's traced back, back centuries, but specifically that kind from state abuse and how it impacted millions of people and impacted badly, broke human ability to drive joy from the inside, broke the human ability to resist abuse, or maybe not broke, maybe interfered with it. But something that I think about every, every day, a lot, a lot, a lot, is how the generation of kids who are being subjected to this thing right now, they're probably going to be extremely similar to what the generation of my parents ended up to be. Mm -hmm. And what was happening, the generation of my grandparents was trained, they were born very, you know, shortly after the revolution of 1917. And so they were born into this fresh system of completely mingling their souls and making them... So goodness was associated with being good to the communist ideals and to this whole state machine and fake, fake community values that were not really community values, that were state values. But they were sold to the people as community values that you should care about your neighbor, which was not your neighbor, which was the state's image of what the neighbor is supposed to want. And so, but they... You know, as kids, they were raised into that. That was the only, only world they knew. And they became, and they had to deal with the war and poverty and all the social upheaval. And they, they are heroes for having survived that. You know, they fought the Nazis. They, they were really, really strong people, but they were harsh people. Mm. And they were raised in this harsh system of black and white values and they were kind they would give you they would cook for you they would give you the last you know they were very very generous very kind very strong very beautiful people like as a generation like i admire them deeply but they were very harsh mm -hmm. and they were harsh to their kids and the kids grew up knowing and that's my of course that's my subjective observation i cannot speak for the entire gen i mean i i only speak for my own observations of what, what you know what i've seen but the children grew up knowing that parents side with a machine. So, and if children sinned against the machine, then the parents naturally would teach them to be right. They would 
teach them that they should not have like faulted the machine that they they should have done something they have they should not have missed that meeting mm. they should not have because that's important and and the parents did it not because they hated their children for sure they thought they were teaching them to be fit in the world that they know that is the only world they know and then naturally that made the generation of my parents at least from how from how i know from how i know it from how i got to experience it as people who need to comply people who need to like my mom is she's the most beautiful mother in the world she's kind she's generous but all of her life she was trying to teach me to please and to please so that i don't get hurt mm -hmm. to please so they don't kill me i mean it's not how like killing is not what she had in mind but you know so that they don't mock me so that they don't hurt me so she, she was teaching me to protect myself by essentially destroying who I am. And, and it's not how she thinks about it. It's not how she thinks about it today. Like luckily, you know, for everybody's sanity. But that is something that I was running away from all my life. This is something that ultimately made me come to the States because I did not want this gloom. I did not want this misery. I was, I was so resentful of adults. I was so resentful of those eternally tired people who thought that happiness was something sinful. And they, they did not intellectually think it. Obviously, they wanted to be happy. They, and obviously, my family wanted me to be happy, obviously. But the whole mechanism of breaking natural ability to be happy, like slapping the child from every direction for actually trying to naturally be happy, which we are born with. You don't really have to, I mean, you just have to be, right? And then slapping out of the child, telling the child to perform, telling the child to conform to the rules of other broken people, and then saying, and now try to be happy. And that is biologically, psychologically hard. I wanted to say impossible, maybe not impossible, but hard. And yet all of that was done out of love, out of the desire to protect and ultimately out of fear because they were trained by the machine that if they don't conform the pain is going to be tremendous whether it comes from the community who are also infected with this whole mental well it's not a mental thing it's just this whole perception right mm. whether so ultimately it would come from people it would not come from the abstract machine it would come from people so people will punish you if you don't follow the particular rule, the particular line of behavior. And they did not know that another world poss is possible. They did not know that actually being who you are, if it doesn't conform with a machine, is fine. They'll be like, yeah, be, 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 be who you are, but not, not like that. <laughs> so it's, it's that. But to this day, I'm struggling with that. To this day, I know that this is how my mom interacts with me and I, she loves me. She is the most beautiful person in the world and I love her. And she tries to protect me by telling me, reminding me all the time that what, what I'm doing is wrong. And this is like, not about this pandemic, on this pandemic we're entirely on the same page. This thing of breaking people so that they 
help the machine break their children. Like to me, this is the most like heart-wrenching, impossible, absolutely horrendous, sick, tragic motherfucking thing <laughs> that I can think of because this is my personal struggle. Mm -hmm. This is something that I didn't even realize until a few years ago because I knew that something, I mean, as a teenager, obviously, like as a teenager, you think adults are lame. Like they're miserable, but you know, what can you expect from them? They're adults, right? Yeah. And, but then when you got to realize it and you know, it was watching movies that were uh, reflecting the time when my grandparents were young and toiling and being poor and struggling and being abused by the state and the kind of messaging and propaganda they were getting, the kind of messaging and propaganda they took in, they gave to their children. And then of course, like their children were giving it to their children because they didn't know anything else. And this is just unnecessary. Like the, the, the most ridiculous, it is, it is unnecessary. We don't have to do that. People do that because they, they, they try to do that. And if people snap out of it somehow, the whole world is going to be better. But the question is, of course, how? The question is how? I mean, I guess the only hope we have is, is that those of us who are questioning will inspire others to question as well. I was going to ask you, and I guess you sort of answered it, how, um, what it is in you that made you think the way you do, um, since you were, you were working against, and so your capacity for critical thinking and independent thought came from your resistance, I'm guessing, well, right? I guess, I think a part of it, a big part of it, and it is very strange how life works out, is that earlier, some years ago, I was in an abusive relationship, like really, really classically abusive relationship, like no joke, uh, very bad. And it ended, like the, the only reason I got out of it was because things got, I mean, it was impossible. It, things got dangerous and really bizarre. But as I was dealing with that, well, the way I came into that was I was this, like glorious person with like top schools and prestige and all those things that, and I thought of myself as smart and obviously domestic abuse is not something that you associate with yourself. Mm -hmm. Like most people I think don't think of themselves this way, probably nobody, but especially have this like glorious social perception of yourself. And, you know, I was a fresh immigrant and I managed to this and that, you know, I felt like I was a winner and that I was a winner and that was me. And then I got in this situation and it was so, it was such a mindfuck. And my brain just did not accept it. I mean, I was, first it was like really weird, but then he would always, as an abuser, he would apologize. He would do absolutely horrible, absolutely horrible things physically. And, and then he would say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I don't know what got, got into me. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll never do it again. And then his family was very proper and I loved his family. They were so, and they treated me with such love until anyway. So, and I felt uncomfortable destroying that image of, you know, being married to a like nice guy with a nice family. It's like parents' house, they love dogs and their parties and their cousins. And 
and on the outside it was impossible to tell. And and I pretty much lost myself. I I was I became unrecognizable. I became unrecognizable. Then of course he like he was trying to deport me and I was arrested and like all those things and it was such a just being I don't even have words for that. Like I I went from knowing who I was and knowing where I was in life to being essentially like a trapped animal with no rights whatsoever, uh, being in jail because whatever, he was trying to deport me so that I don't talk about his abuse. And the perception of myself as, or a perception of normalcy, like what what we think is normal, like things that can happen versus things that can't happen to people like me, that was completely out of the window. That was destroyed because things that I never thought could happen to me, despite the fact that I wasn't particularly sheltered, like I've done things and I've been in dangerous situations before, I was not sheltered, but yet I had this idea of normalcy. Mm -hmm. that, that, was, that was out. And for years I didn't know why, like, why was so like, stupid, I was thinking, because like that was obvious. The fact that he was abusive was obvious. But I did not have the, I was not prepared to deal with it. And I only dealt with it because I had no other choice. Mm. And, and my friend helped me greatly. I mean, like she kind of like dragged me out of it and she helped me along. I'm like, so, so, so I'm grateful to her infinitely and to all of my friends. I was saved ultimately by the community because they were there for me when I was finally I came out with like that the, the, the guy's abusive and they were, they were really supportive as I was going through this whole like situation. So I'm grateful to them forever. And but then I was still thinking like, what did I do to deserve this? Like, why, why? It was so horrible, it was so painful. And suddenly, past year, this last year, I realized why. Because when those things started happening, it was that prior experience that made my vision significantly more clear, I think, than otherwise. Because when I started recognizing the same signs of abuse that I have seen before, I was like, wait, 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 no, 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 not again, please, no, 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 thank you, I'm not going to take it. And, but one of the things that I learned back then, that if you take it, then it's not like the bull is going to stop and say, okay, you've given me this much of yourself, now I'm going to stop. Yeah. That doesn't happen. And if you lie to yourself, because it's, un it's obviously it's uncomfortable and completely crazy and horrible to, oh, like, I am being abused. This is horribly uncomfortable. This is crazy. This is like, it is like, I completely understand why people don't want to deal with it. I was one of them. But if you don't do that, it's, it doesn't really help much in the long run. So that was the reason why last April I decided to be outspoken about it. And it was a struggle because Nobody, not me, for sure, wants to be the thing that, like, you know, all of a sudden you stir all the waters and people who like you think you're crazy. This is not pleasant. Yeah. And I hate conflict. <laughs> I hate conflict so much. I go such a long way to avoid conflict. I, you know, conflict, I, I participate in conflict only when it's like I'm at my last straw. Yeah. And so, but then I was thinking, okay, I've done research into tech. I, I, I know that the things that are happening 
are exactly the, the things that they wanted to happen, like to the T. There's no aspect of reaction. Yeah. Like it is exactly like you mentioned education. Google Google was actually a Google Classroom. They were trying, trying, trying to get all the education online for exactly that purpose, to get all the content from the kids and like they wanted health data. They tried to for years, like they bribed and lobbied and like tried to be wiggly about it and pushy about it, but it didn't quite work, I guess, to the degree that they wanted. So now, last year, they just got everything they wanted and more, like 10 times more. Yeah. But, uh, so when I saw that, when I saw that, I was like, that just, that, that, by logic, I mean, I was doing research. I mean, I do have the capacity, it just didn't make sense. Mm. And I guess by virtue of being an outsider to the system, you don't have the, the like you don't have enough peer pressure to like shut it down, to shut the brain down. And again, I don't blame the people necessarily because everybody's trying to do what, you know their best. But that experience of being tossed out of the pretty arrangement temporarily, that leaves, I guess, a trace in you that you start thinking for yourself, you start thinking for really, like not really believing what you're told necessarily just because they say so. Yeah. Because you know that they can be very abusive. And once you know that, you know that. Yes, you can't, you, that's the whole thing. You can't unknow something that you've, that you've felt viscerally. Um, yeah, I, there, there are two things that, that what you were saying made me think of. One is that one of my big worries is that so many of the people who have completely fallen prey to the narrative, um, it's going to be hard for them to get out of it and to, to truly see what's actually happening because it's too painful to know that you've been abused, you know? And um, so that's one thing that, that worries me. And the other thing that, that came to mind when you were speaking was the whole idea of um, trauma being something that does define us and define our, our thinking. So um, it's interesting because, you know, we all, we all have our traumas. Um, and in your case, it, well, I think for anyone, the most, the best thing you can do with trauma that's given to you is to work through it and, and try to be stronger in the end and not let yourself be, you know, I mean, you're a victim of a horrible thing. And then, you know, the, the best thing to do is to, to try to get through it and, um, and, and find the strength that you can from it. And that's, you know, that's the case of so many people, amazing people I know who've gone through much worse trauma than I've gone through. Um, but uh, I was also thinking, because you said, you know, being an outsider makes it also a little bit easier to speak out. And I guess I've always in a way been an outsider, um, culturally and and politically, that was my decision once I became more political as I was older. But um, but I grew up in a, in a family of immigrants. And so everyone in my family had a strange accent and I went to a foreign school. And so, you know, in the French school, I was the American. And when I'd go out into American society, I was the, the Frenchie. And um, 
but more than that, um, I'm trying to think of like what has informed me as someone who, who, who just can't accept the mainstream narrative and I never have. I, I always question and sometimes I agree and I and I fall duped to certain things and then um, other things I, I don't. Um, and my, my father, with whom I've argued over things a lot, um, <laughs> he was a snob in a certain way because, for example, um, he, he always excoriated, you know, chain stores, chain restaurants. They were, you know, horrors in our house. We, we didn't, we didn't do that. Um, but he would even, you know, like if you if you had a boo boo, you would be given a plaster for your for your boo-boo because um, he had an English education um, but he would never call a thing by its brand name so you never blew your nose in a Kleenex you used it well used cloth handkerchiefs but um, <laughs> like from a young age I understood that um, without his his preaching about it that corporations for example were not allowed to have influence over our family and um, and so it was just these slight things that were were different. So you go out and, and, and you're all of a sudden the weird kid who who asks for an adhesive bandage or, you know, a <laughs> tissue rather, you know. And and so you're always a little bit uh, <laughs> a little bit odd and it's okay. And my you know, my daughters have they're much cooler than I ever was, both of them. So I'm actually you know, even though I'm even more freakish than my parents were, I think they're coming out okay. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the 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 whole idea of um, what defines you as what defines who you are and the place that you decide to take in in society, whether you're just going to I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm so focused on the idea of people who are just accepting the narrative and people who don't because unfortunately it's it is you said black and white it's so black and white right now like it was you know growing up in the soviet union for you and unfortunately it's just so similar right now it's so black and white and that's something that's been driving me crazy because you know everyone knows i'm i'm obviously on the left <laughs> like i put in my hours to defeat trump like but the fact that i have to defend myself this way is crazy <laughs> because all of a sudden I have to justify who I am and my political beliefs in order to be able to say I don't agree with the lockdowns, I don't agree with, you know, the the COVID-19 injections, like, you know, um, the fact that it is so black and white now that you're not allowed to take a stand against what you perceive as an injustice without being framed as something you're not is it's actually terrifying. I wonder, like, whether people will wake up when, okay, if their health passports, if, I hope it doesn't get approved, but if their health passports, okay, so for now, some may think that it's fine, but then if they're told that every three months they have to get something, and oops, sorry, this thing expired, so you purchased a flight, too bad, you can't fly, no compensation either, and if it starts happening to too many people and too many important people, too many comfortable people, are they just going to continue eating it up? Are they going to wake up at some point? Are they going to be like total zombie by the time it becomes abusive? Or is it going to be, is it going to develop the same way as any abusive situation that at some point 
is just going to be like so unbearable that they will have to wake up. Like I want it every day. Yeah. And and I pray and I pray and I pray for the goodness of the universe that the universe just helps us. Because I think we need all the kindness in the world. Yeah. And I hope that everybody's healing happens in the kindest way. Like I don't want to be like I don't want that I told you so. Like I don't want yeah, exactly. I don't want I told you so. I I want people to wake up. I want people to wake up to their love. I want them to wake up to the people around them, to their relationships, to their like I don't know. It is the lack of empathy that you mentioned. Yeah. Like I know people who like wouldn't talk to me without a mask for months. Like people close to me. And that is that was the most heartbreaking part for me. Like, you know, that the machine wants to eat you, it's terrifying, but it's almost kind of like it always did. It's just more like upfront about it right now. But when people side with the machine, maybe it's because it's my generational story that people did that without realizing that. Without, they, they, they would absolutely, if somebody told them that they're siding with the machine, they would be horrified. They would say, absolutely not. But at the same time, from my perspective, that's what they were doing. Yeah. And that so many people are going along with that, that to me is just like the most disgusting thing ever. And I don't know, I think we have an obligation internally, each of us to fight it, to just recognize it and fight it like our life depends on it because it, it could be. I, I completely agree. And I have a, a friend, um, who who comes every week for a piano lesson and she's so wise and I get so I get more from her than I think she gets from me but um but she uh she does love meditation and has taught her boys to meditate and um and her way of thinking has made me realize how important it is to um put that energy out in the world and she's she was praising me for for speaking out but i realized from her that there's also so much importance in in just coming inward and putting the good energy out out there i mean it sounds so new agey and i have always been such <laughs> an atheist and um just very very much estranged from you know religion since I was you know since I turned 18 um, but I realized that in this world right now um, unfortunately the the fear has also created a lot of hatred even though people will will say it's not that there is a lot of anger and there's a lot of anger towards anyone who who thinks differently. I feel, and maybe I, maybe I just feel that because I'm I'm on that side. But I feel that there is. I mean, we're all judging others all the time, but there's a lot of extra judgment right now, and um, and as you said, one of the most important things we can do to combat this the way that we're going is to put as much kindness into the world as possible and and you know for those of us who are lucky enough to lucky enough <laughs> whatever who are artists um one of our duties is also to put as much beauty as we can into the world and um and that's 
something that has to happen and I don't feel like I cannot, you know, take a stand and, and fight as well, but I also realize that I have to put a lot of energy into that, into the the creation of, of beauty, because that is also its own form of, of fighting what's happening. So yeah. Well your song about Cassandra, it's beautiful. Oh thank you. My really um, beautiful. my latest piece, which will be premiered in a video tomorrow. Um the we we put um I put my daughter as the the main voice in it and um and I I put the lyrics in, in the three languages that I, I speak best. Um well actually apart from English, but um <laughs> for some reason because but the lyrics are um in Armenian where is our shared soul and in Spanish where is our humanity and then my daughter's voice answers in French and it says in our embraces in um, our shared tears in the tight space between our um, linked our connected hearts and uh, and so it's a it's it's not a political piece but um but for me it's it's a piece about you know where we are now and where and that that hope that that kindness can prevail and connection between us can prevail since the isolation has just gone on for too long. <laughs> mm -hmm. God, I mean, I actually did not, as an artist, I never really envisioned a situation in which it would be real, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, you always, like, I was always fighting, not not always, as a kid I was trained to be compliant, and but as, as I started thinking for myself as an adult, I was always inclined to do things that are, you know, against the machine. I was making art about actually what's happening right now, like for some years prior. So I almost feel like as an artist, I don't want to make this kind of art anymore because I was doing it as a warning. I was doing it based on my research into big tech and all the things that were happening. So I was describing the disconnected world of dystopia and and broken relationships and AI and all those things. I was doing it. I had a whole performance about about that with like poetry and uh, but now it is happening I can't believe it and I can't believe that now as an artist my task is now serious that I cannot be the American fake pop rebel not that I was trying to be the American fake pop rebel but you, you know like deep in my heart I understood that 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 rebellion is kind of a little fake that it is a little I mean it is sincere because when life is good like, you know, you, there's nothing to really rebel against proper. So you like from the inside, you rebel about something, right? But now we're actually like facing that machine. And like one of the things that absolutely killing me is that some of my teen heroes or, you know, like the, the, uh, the Western rock idols, they yeah. are now completely compliant. I was, uh, you know, got this email, you know, on the mailing list from David Bird something about social distance dancing, and I was like, what in the holy fuck is that? Like, okay, I, I, I mean, I guess, I guess it wasn't real, or like so many artists who, and I mean, like this is something that is my recent, something that I've been thinking about only recently because you know, as you grow up, like the 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 musicians that 
represent the freedom, the whatever, especially me coming from like the East, Eastern yeah. Europe, the, the whole American freedom thing was, it, it was extremely idealized. It was extremely like, it was a very, very romantic thing. And something that I thought, okay, they have, we don't, have, you know, that thing. And then when those people, and I'm thinking maybe they were just spoiled kids. Maybe they they just wanted attention. There's nothing wrong with wanting attention. There's like it's like we are raised in, like that's if you don't have genuine love and respect and dignity, then attention is all you seek, right? Yeah. So maybe they were the broken kids who were like a little spoiled. Maybe they were not really rebellious. Yeah. Maybe they never were. Maybe that was all a lie. Maybe everything that I believed about them, and I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying like you know it's I, it's not my place to judge at all. Maybe I'm just saying that really they weren't heroes that I thought they were. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like this is very, very, like this is very tricky because a lot of people who I thought were those creative artists, they they just wear a mask. And they think that it, we're in the middle of the dangerous pandemic still, like a year later. And they think that like, of course, this is what's happening because why would they lie to us? Because the government never does. I mean, I don't know. So that is strange. And I want more artists like you. I want more people to actually, you know, stand for what's important humanly and not be advertising messages, messages for the corporations. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot more to say, obviously, than just, you know, what's right. happening with with covid right now and and but but again i actually find it <laughs> disturbing that that's something i felt i needed to express in my music because there's there's so much else that needs to be addressed you know i mean their their kids were literally starving in this country you know and yet all of a sudden i feel like it's it's important also just to basically remind people that that we're not biohazards to each other and and we need each other physically and that's that's the that's the part that's really hard to deal with is that people and i guess it's been a long process but because of the advent of of technology um and how far we've gone with it people have accepted the idea that we can have relationships that are through a screen and that's acceptable but actually it's not. And I guess as artists, a lot of us know that and and you can, there's so many ways that that you can explain how it's impossible to convey what you want through, a, you know, a virtual concert and so forth. Like it's, it's impossible to feel the art in the same way. It just is physically impossible. Um, but people are being told that, that that's that's what needs to be accepted and um, so all of a sudden it feels important to say which again just it does feel ludicrous to me but it, that's where we are it feels insane like, to me the idea that saying that human touch is necessary or that it is okay to hug a friend yeah. like the level of rebellion is mind-boggling <laughs> because like seriously hug a friend be a rebel against the machine like this mm. is the, the level of courage or going to eat in a restaurant inside. Oh my God, rebellion. 
This is so crazy that honestly, like I'm talking about it, but at the same time, I almost don't believe that it is actually happening. I know, but I mean, it's also it's it's because of that fear that people have, and and I have compassion. I've, I've got very very dear friends who are prey to this fear, and I feel horrible for them, and I I need to remind myself to you know to be well. I don't have to remind myself, but I don't want to be judging them, and um, you know, and and myself feel angry. Um, towards them, because I, I I feel hugely compassionate for the suffering that they're going through because it's awful. I mean, I, my my daughter has a good friend whom she has not seen in a year, and this friend has not seen anyone outside of her own family in a year. I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. Um, at the same time, what we're struggling with, those of us who um, are not afraid of who, who don't who are not filled with that fear. Um, we're actually we're the ones who are often the targets of of the anger of those who who are filled with the fear because the fear is causing them to um, to lash out at anyone who who says no, no we can we can hug and we can see each other. There are treatments out there that have been proven through many studies even. Um, there are treatments that work that have been banned because otherwise the vaccines would not be authorized, um, authorized, not approved. Um, you know, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange situation. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's hard. We, you know, I, I have to make sure I'm, I'm always full of compassion, but I also struggle a little bit because the whole threat of, of vaccine passports and so forth, which, you know, threatens to curtail my own freedom of movement, my ability to go back to performing and so forth. Um, that's a very, very real threat that we're living through. And it's not okay that your fear punish me and those who think the way I do in such a way. It's, it's not acceptable. Um, so, yeah. Well, it is not acceptable at all. And you know, I was just thinking about the other day, well, the other day and the, the every day for, for months prior, <laughs> is that if you take it for face value, all the logical arguments that there's a dangerous plague, it can get anybody, and then you can die and you can infect the grandma, like all those things, if you take it for, and there are no treatments, and, face ma and, yeah. and, and masks work, if you take it all for face value, then the anger at somebody who doesn't comply is kind of logically justifiable. I mean, yeah. no anger is really justifiable, like proper, but... No, I, d but, I disagree. Yeah. We'll talk about anger after, but yeah. Yeah, but it is justifiable in the sense that if somebody is endangering my life, knowingly, selfishly, whatever, and all, like, all those logical pillars on which this narrative is built are true, then I can understand. The problem is they're not true. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to dig very deep to pretty much like the the entire thing falls down like a house of cards. If yeah. you just look and that is the part where because if I suddenly, for, for instance, if I decide for whatever reason that if you don't immediately dye your hair blonde, which I'm sure will look good on you anyway, but <laughs> if you don't do that, then you're endangering me, then you're insulting me. Like, and if I'm deeply convinced that you're, you're really being a jerk to me by not dyeing your hair blonde, 
and that like everything in my like everything depends then then I will be obsessed with it and I'll be like Anais, for fuck's sake, <laughs> diet already. You, you, I mean, so within that logic, I mean, like it sounds crazy, but then the other thing sounds crazy too. Yeah. Except lots of people have accepted it and the propaganda, people who do propaganda, they know very well what they're doing. Yeah. There's there's a lot of science behind that. And they choose the words and they choose, I mean, like we, if we're bombarded with something frequently enough, it's very hard to resist it. You have to have like extra help and extra strength and some 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 something magical and, but, so yes, I understand that logically, but it's almost like you're walking around and everybody has kind of like neurosis and and you feel compassionate. But at the same time, like that cannot break you. Like they're not allowed to tell me what to think. They're not allowed. They're allowed to think whatever they want. They're not allowed to tell me what to think. Exactly. So it is, I agree, it is very, very difficult. And so what did you want to say? And I'll take another question. Oh no, just because, um you said, you know, you start to say anger is never justified, and I actually feel that um, that use, useful anger is actually necessary because, you know, the, the anger that I feel when I feel that an injustice is being done to my daughters and other children, that's a useful anger, you know? I agree with you. The yeah, anger that, that people have that's anger with themselves that they turn on to others, that's not useful. But... Um, but uh, anyway, that's a, it's a for me. It's a bit of a a sensitive topic because culturally, in 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 the culture that I grew up in, mostly the Armenian culture, um, emotions are are problematic, and so um, I I just feel like I I don't think I'm the only one. I think a lot of people who've grown up in the Armenian culture, um, I'm guessing, have felt similar. Like you know, emotions can be big. If they're happy, you know, but um, I, I sort of feel a little bit like, especially as a woman, um, the negative emotions are much more problematic. And I don't know, maybe meaning you're not allowed to express them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and maybe that's the case with all cultures. I just happen to know this one best. But um, but I feel that uh, yeah, especially as a as a woman, you know, anger is not really, um, you know. It's not, it's not ladylike and it's not acceptable. And I, I do have a temper and I wish I didn't. Um, but at the same time, I know that there's an anger that I use for good. And, and I personally am okay if it's going to, you know, direct me towards fighting for what I, I feel like I need to fight for. So, anyway. No, I, I, th I, I agree with you. And perhaps I wasn't clear. I guess, you know, it's good that you mentioned it because what I mean is that unhealed anger applied to others yes, exactly. is usually, even if it's justified, actually, even if, it, if it's justified by all means, it just doesn't help solve problems. No. So, so I think anger is an extremely important part of our, like our, that, that is a, a way for something to get out, for an important feeling to get out. And, but it's, I think it is important for a mature adult to, have some kind of grasp and understanding of what it is and when to deal with it in solitude yeah. and when to work through things and when to put it into like art or whatever you do and like dealing with others like just in the right and that that's 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 hard work that's yeah. an art and, and and hard work that's not something that you just do once and then like everything so you just have to keep doing that and that is not easy yeah 
And I completely agree with you. And you know, like the way you feel about that, I feel about sound and I'm going to go on a rant right now, like speaking of. So obviously, I guess, well, as a singer, but singer being a result of who I am, sound has been an extremely important part of my expression. I go about my day, I make sounds and I, like this is maybe weird, I, mean, I don't know, but this is how I keep saying. This is when I feel something, attention or joy. I mean, I, I, I'm very loud and, but as, <laughs> as a kid, as a kid, I remember that, well, actually I don't remember. I remember later adults telling me that the girls who did not like me very much because I was a tomboy, but the girls like I played with, they complained or made comments that I was screaming loudly all the time. And that was my actual, that was my voice. And, and then for years, I just completely, I, it, they, they, I guess they trained me not to. And then I had to work very, very hard to get out my, like the sounds out of me. And now even, like that is my expression. And I know that it is not necessarily socially acceptable because making like loud sounds, whatever, especially as you go about your day, it's like, you know, you're totally not like you're crazy, right? <laughs> and I remember actually at one time I was singing scales and then I saw a, you know, New York water bug flying roach coming. Nice. That was the sound, nice. that was the sound. So, but anyway, that's that makes me happy. That makes me, if I feel tension, if I make a sound, then it, it, like it helps me like carry on. It helps me release all the crap that I feel. But I know that this is exactly what causes people to be suppressed and ultimately unhappy and maybe sick physically at some point mm -hmm. later in life. Because when you have a kid and you tell them, don't talk, don't talk, hush, no, quiet, it's inappropriate, stay quiet. Then as a kid, you just take it as, okay, like there's something wrong with me. I have this, I have this need to be loved, but they're telling me I shouldn't. Mm -hmm. So there's something fundamentally wrong. Like that's probably how it happens. And then especially with the current like situation with face masks and all that like this is a sick continuation a sick like building on top of a sick foundation and this is just that that, that, that was my rant about sound because <laughs> i think that when people are actually allowed to make sound as they wish and to release them and to be loud and to be vocal and to express who they are i think that the machine has no chance and this is probably exactly the reason why it likes to like not let us <sighs> Well, is there anything else that you want to say? Can't think right now. Let, let me ask you something then. Okay. So, your journey in terms of people, because on my end, I noticed that the most impact, good or bad, came from the people, like the reaction of people, the friends that I gained. On the, I, I gained a lot of good friends thanks to being vocal about it, mm -hmm. which is very pleasing to me because I was very scared when I was making the choice whether to be vocal. So when suddenly I made a lot, a lot, a lot of wonderful, like quality, solid friends, including you. Thank you, I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> so that was very good. But then on the other hand, people who are close to me, who, whose senses were impacted, that was painful. That was the most painful part. So what was your experience of being vocal and how did it impact your social interactions? Um, the same. Um, I have one close relationship that's, that's on rocky ground because of my being vocal and another relationship that might have ended, I'm not sure. And then there are plenty of other relationships where I, I, think, I think I haven't managed yet to alienate 
too many people, but there are some who I think might end up keeping more of a distance. Um, but conversely, I have several new, very, very strong friendships um, for which I'm extremely grateful. And uh, th that wouldn't have formed without this situation or, or wouldn't have become as strong as they are. So, so I'm not at a loss. <laughs> um, I actually have gained gain more in my relationships lately with some some people who whom I knew but uh, unfortunately this adversity um, or fortunately for us is that it's, it has strengthened our bond um, so yeah um, and I think actually the the one for whom it's hardest right now is my little one because my older daughter that's the thing with the, the whole school thing. The teenagers, you know, they've got some teachers are stricter than others. Some are like really, really ridiculously strict. And then meanwhile, the kids all leave and they're all, you know, 15. So they're able to do whatever they want. And they all leave and they're all hugging and, and having picnics together and sharing bubble tea and whatever. Like it's, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and then, but, you know, my little one is at the mercy of, of whatever her, you know, her guardian says and, and you know whoever her guardian can invite over so her social life has been more limited so that's 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 hurtful to me she has a few friends whom she can see but you know she's got one of her closest friends in the world whom she hasn't seen properly since the summer so it's it's hard um yeah it's i do want to make sure that i don't I do feel like, like you, for the, the people with whom I'm, I'm friends and who, who mean a lot to me, I, I try to make it clear that, you know, on certain things our views might be very different, but that needs to be okay, you know, and I think most of the people in my circle are accepting that. Um, I don't know if it's also, I don't know if it's a little bit cultural or not, but uh, I do know that the cultures that that I was raised in, like Armenian and French, I feel are are more um, comfortable with the the idea of of friends disagreeing on a lot of things, but you like each other, so it's okay. Like whatever you think about that is stupid, but I still like you and and all the other things you think, so it's fine. And um, I hope that that can continue to be the case with with all of my friends um but i do have a, a couple who i think for whom it's not really possible i think and so they've they've let me go because of that and you know so be it well you're beautiful thank you thanks thank yeah. you <laughs> i can just record like half an hour of my game <laughs> and then sell it for a million dollars for people who haven't done it in a year Here's a business idea for us, right, from starting artists, there's going to be the art of hugging. There we go. Because, yeah. you know, there's so much money in the art we do, so <laughs> we need some other outlet. Thank you. There's no soul, ask the scorer, chew your content, wear your collar. There's no soul, ask the scholar. Circle.